<laughs> if you have your Bible that tonight, Second Samuel chapter number two is where we will be. First Peter one eight. Go ahead and read that, Brother Jeff. Amen. Praise the Lord out of the book of Peter, a book that speaks about suffering and uh, thankful for those books. Second Samuel chapter two. You might remember on Sunday night we went through all of the book of first Samuel and I hope that you learned something about the life of David uh, during that during that time when we were covering that. Uh, we are coming into some areas of David's life that was prophesied about, that he was anointed, uh, how he was anointed. You know, there's been portions of David's life that I have preached through many times. Uh, we're trying to not, we're trying to give more of an overview of these chapters. Sometimes on Sunday nights we'll get through two, maybe three chapters. Um, we're trying to do more of an overview of his life, to get more of a peer into the life of this man who whose life he was called the apple of God's eye. He was called a man after God's own heart. But David's life certainly had moments of ups and downs. There was a lot of ups and downs in it. There was moments of there was moments of triumph and there were moments of failure. As you go through the book of 2 Samuel, you're going to see some of David's most glaring weaknesses. We already saw in 1 Samuel that there were certain times when he was just away from God. He spent 16 months in the land of uh, the Philistines. He wasn't praying about nothing. The Bible wasn't recording anything about David praying about anything during that time. And then all of it happened in one day when Saul and his sons just, they passed away. They, they were killed in battle. And uh, then in 2 Samuel 1, David laments over Saul and, and Jonathan. And we, we tried to draw points out of that several weeks ago, how that David seemingly had a forgiving spirit towards Saul, in spite of the fact that many commentators believe David was 15 years on the run from Saul, or 15 years when Samuel anointed him to the point where he became king was about a 15-year span. This was a long, lengthy trial. He, he, he faced uh, a lack of hope in his life. He, he doubted whether or not he would even live several times. But now the Lord's delivered him from Saul. But now that he's ushered into this time period where there was great war between he and Saul's family. Now when you consider the books of First and Second Samuel, originally these books were kind of put together, but they were separated similar uh, to how the verses were put into the Bible uh, far after they were, uh, far after that they were penned. Um, there's nothing really said in the Bible as to who authored these books with the exception of First Chronicles chapter number 29 and verse number 29, which gives you a peer into this. Personally, I believe Samuel wrote much of First Samuel, but Samuel died in the middle of First Samuel, so I really don't believe he wrote all the rest of Second Samuel because Samuel was dead. Uh, people, if you go to First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 29, you don't have to go there now, but it references Gad and Nathan, who also wrote about these acts uh, during this time. And so this, the first book of Samuel covers about a 90-year period of time that begins with Samuel's birth. It's attributed to the time period about 1100 B.C. until the death of Saul about 90 years later. Now, the second book of Samuel is basically description of, of David's reign. Now, there are certain concurrent books in the Old Testament. 
Okay, um, concurrent books meaning there are books that kind of overlap each other and speak of the same incidents. There's going to be things that you see in 2 Samuel that you will also see in the book of Chronicles. Chronicles was a, uh, a history, a Jewish history book. The same thing goes for uh, the books of the kings. But these books of, of, of Samuel represent the transition from the time of the judges to the times of the king. You remember how that Moses led the children of Israel. Well, oh, Moses took them all the way up to the Jordan River. But Joshua led the children of Israel out of Egypt into Canaan's land where they faced Jericho. And Joshua was a great leader, but when Joshua died, it ushered the children into the time of the judges, a time of great waffling, a back and forth. There was a good leader. There was a bad leader. There was a good leader. There was no leader. Uh, the Bible summarizes the, in the book of Judges that I believe it's the last chapter where it said every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This is the same time period where the book of Ruth was written where Elimelech took his family on down to Moab and, and three men lost their lives and God did something wonderful through the book of Ruth. So leaving the book of Judges, we, we are ushered into this time period where first of all we find the anointed of the Lord, Saul, and then the second reign of David, which the book of Second Samuel is concerned with. Now as in the books of Judges, the apostasy in Israel in its, in, in, is, is greatly described. There is a lot of difficult things going on in Israel, and we're also introduced to many interesting characters through the book of 2 Samuel. David makes Jerusalem the political and religious center of Israel. We'll get into that in chapter number 5. But it also covers the transition between the children of Israel having a seer or a prophet into the children of Israel having a king because they had requested to be like other nations. That's all we'll say about that for now. Now David is just coming out of this extended period of time where he was living with the Philistines, where he was going to fight against the children of Israel, what was prevented by the Lord, and the death of Saul. And now David starts getting his life right with the Lord. And he begins where everybody should start when you're trying to get your life right with the Lord. It's inquiring of the Lord or praying. Prayer is important in our lives. There's a few reasons that we might mention prayer requests. Now I just want to say when it comes to prayer, nobody can pray for me like I can. Because I know me. And I know what's on my heart when I pour my heart out to the Lord. You know, I am not somebody who trusts my Facebook friends. First of all, Facebook friends, most of them aren't even my friends. They're acquaintances. They're people who we never speak with individually. I would rather tell somebody who's close with me, people that are on staff here, people that are in my church family, I need your prayers. I'd rather tell you personally about that than to run to Facebook. And I, I am totally convinced in this day and age that there's a lot of people who ask for prayer on Facebook who are never praying. And they do more, you know, I'm praying for you, and they're not really praying. Listen, we don't live in a very spiritual age today. Facebook and Instagram and all these things that have been introduced to the church today, it hasn't enhanced our spiritual experience. In fact, it's made people babies. There's some people who come to church, and they'll take an inter internal church prob problem and take it to Facebook. Let it never be named once amongst the saints here. You can rest assured that as the pastor of this church, I'm not trying to be mean, but if you ever take an internal church problem to Facebook, you will be seeing me. I'm not going to text you. I'm going to come to you face to face. This is not how the Lord's people deal with their problems. And whether you say amen or you don't say amen, it doesn't make any difference. God's people are supposed to be handling things according to the Scripture. 
And this is the Lord's church. This isn't my church. This is the Lord's church. We ought to be doing things that said in the scripture of how we deal with things. And God ordains things to be handled face to face, person to person. That was a total rabbit trail. What I will say about uh, the praying part is God make us people of prayer. We need prayer. We need more prayer and not less prayer. David, Bible says in chapter number 2 and verse 1, and it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David says, Whither shall I go up? He, he asked for a specific place in Judah. And the Lord told him to go to Hebron at the end of verse number 1. So notice, David went up thither. Now David at this time had multiplied wives to himself already. In chapter number 3, it appears as though he's multiplying wives to himself even more then. David had a problem with women. This was not something that was ordained of God. It was something that was allowed at times in the Old Testament, but it wasn't so from the beginning. In the Old Testament, in the books of the law, it forbade men to multiply wives unto themselves. And David did this. And David, David obviously, as you get along to chapter 11 and 12, had a big, he had an issue in his life with this. This was, this was something that historically kings did. They wanted to have lots of children. They wanted to have big homes. They wanted to, you know, their, their children and the amount of the, the beauty of their wives, it spoke to their glory. The Bible talks about his wives came with him here to Hebron where he came with. And the Bible says in verse number 4 that the men of Judah came and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. And again, you see, you get a picture into the life of David and who he actually was. Now, if there was one person in David's life that caused him the most trouble, I would point to Saul. Or I'd point to David himself who caused himself a whole lot of trouble. But Saul chased after David, and David was going from town to town, city to city, cave to cave. He wasn't staying at the Hilton Garden Inn. He wasn't staying at a Shangri-La. David was on the run for his life and was in fear for his life for Saul. But David forgave Saul. He knew that Saul was God's anointed. And whenever something bad happened to Saul, David didn't celebrate. You know, there's a verse in the Proverbs that says, when your enemy falls, don't rejoice, lest the Lord see it. And he takes the, the, his wrath off of the enemy. Listen, you shouldn't rejoice when your enemy falls. Saul made himself David's enemy, but David forgave him. And it's a glowing example to us. should be a glowing example of how David dealt with this person who did him great wrong. You know, David in this case was the type of Christ. Have you ever met anybody like Jesus? You ever considered how that when Jesus was being brutalized on the cross, he was praying things like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Could you pray that? When someone's hurting you, when somebody is maligning, when somebody's spitting in your face, can you imagine loving somebody so much to pray for them in the midst of that? This is where we recognize ourselves to be human beings. I've seen people in churches come to blows. Anger. I've seen it last for years and years. I've seen things that took place in church 20 years ago, right on the edge of people's sleeves, and heard people talk about it in great detail, about someone who hurt them, and somebody who did them wrong, and somebody who hurt their family. And all I can tell you is this, Lord, give us a spirit of forgiveness. Lord, make us like Christ. And if Jesus is a part of our lives, there should be a time when we're being betrayed by people, where we recognize our own humanity. There was a time in my life when... Boy, if there was a spiritual knife in my back, I had it. And man, it was hurtful. And I was having thoughts that weren't so spiritual. And I was reminded that I am a man. 
And I was enamored by who Jesus was. How Jesus was able to go all the way to the cross and forgive his enemies. You know, when he saw Judas Iscariot, who was filled with the devil, Satan himself had entered into Judas. When Judas came to plant that kiss on Jesus, Jesus called him his friend. He looked at Judas, he said, I was a friend to you. I think when Jesus said that to Judas, no matter how much of Satan was inside of him, it bothered him. Because his pockets were about to be lined with 30 pieces of silver for betraying the Son of God. But Jesus called him friend. God, give us a forgiving heart. God, make us like the Lord. God, make us tender. God, let us be people that can let some things go. David let some things go. You remember the men of Jabesh-Gilead, they never forgot that Saul helped them and that their eyes weren't put out. And when it was told to David, these men went all night long and went to go and bury Saul. The Bible talks about in verse number 5, and David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead. You're getting a peer into David's heart. This is his, this is his control panel, if you will. This is how he thought. It was how he believed. It was who he was. He wasn't acting like something. This is who he was. He never forgot that those men did kindness to Saul. And he sent messengers to her. He said, Blessed be ye of the Lord, that ye have shown this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. He basically commended them, and he said, You men did a good job. You did a good job honoring the person who helped you earlier in your life. And now the Lord show kindness and truth to you. He's praying a blessing on them. And I will also requite you this kindness, because ye have done this thing. David was a type of Christ. He saw that these men of Jabesh-Gilead had done this kindness to Saul and that they went all night and took his naked, headless body down from the wall of that, uh, of that city and they buried him and they did this kindness to him and he said, God's going to reward you and I'm going to reward you too. He was a type of Christ because he had let Saul go. He said in verse number 7, now, therefore now let your hands be strengthened and be ye valiant. For your master Saul is dead and also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. Now, Judah and Israel were separated at this time. Most of Israel was in the northern kingdom. This is where you would find Jerusalem and all these other areas. David was in Hebron, and only over Judah was he, was he anointed as king at this time. In verse number 11 of chapter 2, it tells you that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah seven years and six months. So for a period of seven years and six months, there was a time of national division. Then we get into the story, and it's a sordid story, in verse number 12, of Abner, the son of Ner, and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. Now, if you do any study on who these men are, you really get a peer into the character of these men. You have in this passage of Scripture, and we're not going to take time to read all of it, Joab, the mighty warrior in Israel. If I picture Joab in my mind, I, I picture somebody who looks like an MMA wrestler, muscle-bound. Somebody who you would, you would not want to face Joab on the battlefield. You better be ready to fight. You better be ready to run if you see any of the sons of Zeroyah. These men were bloody men. These were, these were men who were fierce warriors in battle. You know, a lot of times, I, I remember years ago, I was, at a, I was at a college football game at the Northwestern University in, uh, in Northwest Chicago. It was in Evanston, Illinois. And I, I, I came from Michigan, and I kind of looked like I was one of the Michigan football players. And, and there at, the, uh, at halftime of the game, I just walked right on the field because the guy who was guarding the field, did, he thought I was one of the players. 
And so I walked all the way on the field, and I was standing there next to all these giants of men. Uh, some NFL football players came and played on from, from that very team. I remember standing next to a guy that was six foot six with those shoulder pads on, and he was yoked. He hadn't missed arm day, fellas. I mean, he was in good shape. And I was just thinking about what I would do if, let, let's say I got into a fight with one of these guys, man to man, mano we mano. And I was just thinking, wow, well, you know, could anybody stand against people that look like this? When I think about Joab and his brothers, I think about some very talented physical warriors, physical specimens, men who were not afraid to bleed, men who were not afraid to run into battle, to swing a sword. These were mighty and valiant men. They weren't perfect men, and that's for sure. If you read on in chapter number two, you read some things that they did wrong. Abner, the son of Ner, this is the captain of the host of, uh, he's one of the captains of the host that Saul had. If you look at who Abner was, the son of Ner, he's actually Saul's cousin, which would make him Ishbosheth's uncle. Ishbosheth was Saul's son, and they made him king over Israel at this time. He met a very, very violent end. Verse number 12, and Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the, uh, and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. Now, you can see the picture in your mind. you got a pool of water and you got, the, you got Saul and his family and his captains on one side. And you got David and all of his mighty warriors on the other side. And they came up with this idea, hey, let's, let's, let's have some gladiator games. Let's have a fight. Let's let the young men rise up to play. Let's, let, let's, let's have a sword fight. Now, th this wasn't, th this wasn't uh, you know, a punching match, folks. They were getting their swords out, and they were going to battle. They were going to see who was better. And if you read what takes place here, the Bible goes on to say that there, there rose up, verse 15, 12 of, of Benjamin, which pertained to Ithbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And they caught everyone his fellow by his head and thrust the sword in his fellow's side so that they fell down together. Wherefore, that place was called Helkath Hazurim, which is in Gibeon. That word means the field of strong men. Strong men fell that day. They decided to have this, this little battle. You, you know, this is like a civil war. Men of their own nation, people, this would be like Americans rising up to fight against Americans. These were Jewish people. One was following after Saul, one was following after David, and they bring 12 against 12, and all of them fall down dead. And a great battle ensued. And the Bible talks about this battle. It says, there was a very sore battle that day, verse 17, and Abner was beaten from the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three sons of Zeruiah there, Joab, and Abishai, and Asahel. And Asahel was as light a foot as a wild roe, verse number 18. And so you basically have a story of this, this third son of Zeruiah, this warrior. And certain warriors, they have different, they have different skill sets. Okay, when, when, I, when I was growing up, I, I had a skill set of just having grunt, bruce force, force, uh, brute force. I was lower to the ground than my brother. My brother could run very fast. I was fast, but I wasn't as fast as my brother. If there was anybody that needed to move somebody else, that was my job. So I was kind of like offensive lineman, linebacker. 
you know, uh, if, if we needed a wall torn down, give me a mall. Give me a hammer. I can tear it down. I can tear it down quickly. You need some concrete tore up? Let me smack the concrete. I will break up the concrete. But if you want something built, do not give me a hammer and do not give me mud and tape. It will be a mess. That's all I can tell you. I'm not even allowed to paint in my house. You guys aren't even following me tonight. Is it that late? 6.46 and you guys are dead as a doornail out there. Wake up! This is a good sermon. I'm trying my best. Don, I'm not talking to you. I'm just playing. All right. So we have the story. This Asahel has this, uh, he's got a gift. He's extremely fast. You ever met somebody that had uncanny physical abilities? I've met some men. I remember playing baseball when I was a teenager. And I was a good ball player. I was a third baseman, a pitcher, catcher. I could throw the ball about 90, 91 miles an hour by the time I was a, a sophomore in high school. But I remember playing with some athletes, and I remember I was put in left field my freshman year, and there was a ball that was hit so hard up the gap between left and center. And there was a center fielder by the name of Tim Stevenson, real skinny. uh, At that time, he was skinny, and he was lanky. And I remember watching him shoot a basketball. He had a good corner shot when he played basketball. But I saw this guy run a ball down and had his glove turn around backwards. I had never seen such a play on a baseball field as I saw that day. I was amazed at the kind of skill, physical skill, that this athlete had. And there have been several times where I've been amazed at uh, either an athlete or the size of somebody. Ever heard of the big show, seven foot two big wrestler? I remember he wrapped his hand around my hand and I couldn't believe how big this guy was, as big as Andre the Giant. But uh, I've been amazed at some physical abilities that men have. You know, I, I still enjoy watching people who are incredibly fast. This was who Asahel was. Asahel was so, the Bible calls him, a, he was so light of foot, he could run like a deer. He could light a foot as a wild roe, the Bible says. And so he starts running after Abner, the cousin of Saul, the uncle of Ishbosheth. He's running after him, and, and Abner's saying, don't, you know, you need to leave me alone. You need to, you know, the Bible's basically t- telling the story how Abner's running, and he's telling Asahel, stop following me, I'm going to have to fight. Don't follow me. Abner was a great man. He was the captain of the host. You didn't get to be the captain of the host over Saul's army, over the Jewish army. And you were not somebody who was a man of war. This man knew how to kill people. And he was telling this son of Zeroya, stop following me. And this guy wanted his head. He wanted Abner. And the Bible says that he wouldn't turn from the right hand or to the left. And he had a long spear, Abner did. And Asahel got so close, he got too close. And he took that spear as he was running and he poked it back. It was probably a long spear, probably about 10 foot long. You know, some of them spears they used to use to hold off some horses that they were going to get rode down. He had that spear and took it behind his back. And the Bible says he smote it one time as he was running and it went right under the fifth rib. Basically stabbed him in the heart. Asahel died. The brother of Joab died. Now Joab is a mighty warrior. This is a man of war. The Bible tells you what takes place here in verse number 23. Howbeit he refused to turn aside, wherefore Abner with the hinder end of the spear smote him under the fifth rib that the spear came out from behind him. He smote him all the way through. And he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, they stood still. It caused a great stop to the war. They were fighting that day. Asahel wanted to get Abner, he wanted to kill Abner, and he ended up falling down dead. And all the men of David stood there and they looked. 
It caused a great stoppage to the fight. The Bible talks about the great slaughter that took place that day later on in this chapter in verse number 31. Notice the numbers that died. Two men, two sides were fighting. David's people were fighting. Saul's people were fighting. The Bible says in verse number 31, but the servants of David had smitten of Benjamin and of Abner's men so that 303 score men died. That's 360 men died from Saul's side. And how, how, many, how many did David's uh, team lose? Verse number 30, David's servants, 19 men and Asahel. 19 or 20 died from David's side, 360 died from Saul's side. I'd say that's a pretty good whooping. I don't know what's going on in that Cowboys game tonight. I'm hoping the Cowboys are doing okay. But this would be like losing 100 to nothing or 100 to 20 in a football game. 360 guys die and only 20 guys from the other team die. All I could tell you is this. David's team was a talented team of fighters and God was definitely with them. The Bible talks about in chapter number 3 that there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. It goes on to say that David here is multiplying wives to himself, and he's having more, having more children. Chapter 3 chronicles this long war that takes place, and the issue, and the issue that took place with Ishbosheth and his uncle. Ishbosheth again was the son of Saul. Abner was the one that made this kid king. Now you can only imagine Abner. Abner's the one that just took the life of Asahel. He was the captain of the host of Saul. You know what? He's kind of like a field general. He's a highly decorated military official. And who's Ishbosheth? Ishbosheth was the son of Saul, who later in the chapter was laying on his bed at, at midday. You think the generals had any respect toward a, a king's son who was so lazy as to be laying in the bed at middle of the day? I'm going to tell you something. Military men don't respect that. Military men don't respect people that won't get out of bed. If you don't think that, then go ahead and join the military and see how patient they are with you if you don't swing your feet off the bed when they say it's lights on. I remember when I was in the military, and I'll tell this military story, they convinced me in one day that I wanted to swing my, my feet off the bed. When they cut the light on, if they walked by your room and walked back in and you were still laying in the rack, they'd come and tip your bunk over. And that's something you didn't want, especially if you were on the top bunk. <laughs> now, thank the Lord, I was on the bottom bunk. That, 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 that drill sergeant would come in, he'd say, he'd say, lights are on, time to get up. Some of us need to wake up our children this way. By the way, this is a sign of growing into an adult. Wake up to your own alarm. You're not a child anymore. You got to get up. The Bible talks about this in the book of Proverbs. A little, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Just a little more. Just one more trip to the snooze button. How would you feel if the pastor decided this morning, you know what? I'm not feeling all that well. I'm going to press the snooze button eight times and I'm going to show up to church late. No one would have very much respect for me as the pastor. And the reason that I get up out of bed is because a drill sergeant told me I was supposed to get up. But when I was young, I struggled waking up to an alarm. My brother and sister could tell you stories, and they are all true, about how deep that I slept when I was a child. I was the youngest of three. There was a snowstorm going out one time, and somehow all the doors of our house on Dale Street was locked in the middle of a snowstorm. 
and they were trying to get me out of bed, my brother and my sister. They were banging on the window. They took a metal garbage can outside the window. I was about the age of 11. They were banging the garbage can against the ground, and I was sleeping in a bedroom, and that, that window was right outside. We did not have thick windows. You know, what, what would happen when I was a child and people were trying to wake me up like that? All the noises were incorporated into my dream. And I just fell into a deeper sleep. Have you ever met somebody like that? Is there anybody in the house here today that's like that? I know that there are, but I'm not going to call them out. All I'm trying to say is that this military official had no respect for his nephew. And in chapter number three, his nephew actually accuses him, and their commentaries are on both sides of this, how that, you know, basically Saul had a concubine, and, and Abner was accused by Ishbosheth of being with that concubine. I, I don't read anything in this passage where, where Abner is admitting that this is what took place. But he, he didn't respond well to Ishbosheth in this particular uh, situation. So in verse number 12, Abner sends messengers to David on this behalf. Whose is the land, saying also, Make thy league with me. Behold, my hand shall be with thee, to bring all Israel unto thee. Basically, Abner is saying, I have no respect for Ishbosheth. I'm switching sides. I'm not going to be serving Saul and his family anymore. I'm going to serve David. And so he makes a league with David. David sends him over. You know, David says that he wants his wife back. The, you know, David had killed several men and brought back some proof that he had killed those men. And Michael was ended up, but because Saul wanted to seek a, uh, he, he wanted to seek a quarrel with David. He wanted to hurt David. He gave that woman to another man. And David said, you ain't coming to my side unless I'm getting my wife back. And there was a bunch of stories. There's a story in here about what took place in this particular passage of Scripture. And so David and Abner meet together and they make this league. They shake hands. Abner says, I'm coming to your side. And behold, in verse 22 of chapter number 3, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop and brought in a great spoil with them. And Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away. And he was gone in peace. When Joab and all the host that was with him were come, they told, this is chapter 3 and verse 23, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he has sent him away, and he has gone in peace. Now Joab is not happy about this. Why is Joab upset? This is the guy that killed his brother. He killed my brother. And he wasn't going to let that matter, matter rest. Joab wasn't somebody who was going to do that. And the Bible says in verse 24 that he confronted David, said, what have you done? Behold, Abner came unto thee, why, why hast thou sent him away, and why is he quite gone? Thou knowest, Abner the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee, and to know thy going out, and thy coming in, and to know all that thou doest. And when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the wall of Syrah, but David knew it not. So now Joab is working behind David's back. He's sending messengers to go and, uh, to go and seek for Abner, and they found him. And when the Bible says, verse number 27, and when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly, and he assassinated him, smote him under the fifth rib, and he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest upon the head of Joab and, upon all, and on all his father's house, and let, not, and let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. So Joab and Ab Abishai, his brother, slew Abner, because he had slain their brother Asahel and Gibeon in the battle. 
And David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, rend your clothes and gird you with sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And that David himself followed the bier. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into the fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. David was genuinely upset over this tragedy, this travesty of justice. He invited Abner to come to him. He made a league with Abner. And one of the people in his own military secretively slew him. And David wanted everybody to know, I had nothing to do with this. This, was, this had nothing to do with me. And the Bible talks about all this lamenting that were going on. And the Bible says, and when the people came to cause David to eat meat while it was yet day, David swore, saying, so do God to me and more also if I taste bread or aught else till the sun go down. He said, this, what happened today is worth me not eating until the sun's down and I'm not going to eat. And the people who were watching this saw the genuine displeasure that David had. Verse number 36, and all the people took notice of it and it pleased them. As whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people in all Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner the son of Ner. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man, man fallen this day in Israel? You know where this Abner was when the men of Jabesh Gilead called to get some help from Saul? He was on the battlefield for those boys. This was a man who didn't shirk responsibility when it came to fighting and came to battle over the Jews. Now, yeah, he was under Saul, but he had switched his allegiances. And because these sons of Zeruiah, these bloody men who David calls in verse 39, too hard for him, the Lord, the Lord was going to reward these men. And, and, and their day came in battle, the sons, uh, the, the sons of Zeruiah. Now, in closing tonight, we've just got a few more things to say in chapter number, number 4. Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron in verse number 1. And all the Israelites were troubled. We read of the, the assassination of Ishbosheth. It's a sad story. It's a sad story how that in verse number 2 the Bible says, And Saul's sons had two men that were captains of the bands. The name of the one was Bayana, and the name of the other Rechab, the sons of Rimmon, a Barothite of the children of Benjamin. For Baroth also was reckoned to Benjamin. And the Barathites fled to, to Gittim and were sojourners there until this day. And Jonathan, Saul's son, it talks about Mephibosheth in the next verse there. And the Bible talks about these two men who came in to basically smite Ishbosheth in verse number 5. And the sons of Rimmon, the, Bar the Barathite, Rechab and Bayana, went and came about the heat of the day in the house of Ishbosheth, who lay on a bed at noon. <laughs> There's something a king shouldn't be doing. Sleeping at noontime when stuff's going on. And they came thither into the midst of the house, and though they would have, as though they would have fetched wheat, and they smote him under the fifth rib, and Reshaph and Bayana his brother escaped. For when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his bedchamber, and they smote him, and slew him, and beheaded him, and took his head, and got them away to the plain all night. Now I can go back to the, what Saul was doing where God pronounced judgment on Saul and his house for all that he had done to David and more stuff is happening. Saul's house had all kinds of trouble going on in it. There was all kinds of trouble with Saul and his sons. 
Can you imagine being a maid or somebody who came into that room where, where somebody's been smitten under their fifth rib and, they, the rib and took his head off in his own bed? You talk about a bloody scene. The hand of God had definitely left the house of Saul. And these two men came to David with this man's head, with Ishbosheth's head. Apparently they hadn't heard what took place to that guy in chapter number one when he said he lifted up the sword on Saul. And David wasn't too pleased when he said, who are you to lift up your hand to God's anointed? And this is again, appear into the character of David. This is how he thought. This was who he was. This was what kind of man he was. Here you have Saul's son who was anointed to be the king in Israel when he was anointed in Judah to be king. This was his rival. The, the house of David and Saul are fighting against one another. And Ishbosheth is slain in his bed. And these two guys that slay him came to David. The Bible says in verse 8, And they brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David to Hebron, and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thine enemy, which sought thy life, and the Lord hath avenged my lord, the king this day of Saul and of his seed. And David answered Rechab and Baana his brother, the sons of Rimmon the Barothite, and said unto them, As the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity, when one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag. Who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings? How much more when, a wicked, when wicked men have slain a righteous person in his own house upon his bed, shall I not thou therefore now require his blood of your hand and take you away from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they slew him. And cut off their hands and their feet and hanged them over a pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulcher of Abner in Hebron. What do you see about David and his life here? What do you see about David's character? He's not rejoicing when bad things are happening to his enemies. And I want to say this to you as God's people tonight. Who, who, is, in, who is on your hit list? What preacher of the past, what person in your family... Who's done you wrong? What person, a former employer, an employee, a person that you used to know? Who, who do you have on your hit list? Who's in that jail cell in that heart of yours? You know what you need to do? You need to let them go, and you need to let God have his way. When I'm looking at the character of David, some of these things were why God said, this man is the apple of mine eye. Because he showed the character of the Lord in letting his enemies go and even showing mercy to his enemies. Now in the next chapter it tells you in chapter 5, and we're not going to get into all of chapter 5, but there's some other types that you see there when David was actually anointed to be king. Notice how long he reigned in Jerusalem. The Bible says and, when David, and David was 30 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 40 years. Guess who else came on the scene when he was about 30 years old? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came on the scene around the age of 30. The Bible says in Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. You don't think there's a few types there how David reigned for as long as Jesus would live? They say that Jesus would sit upon the throne of David. It was a messianic term. 
All I can tell you tonight as we look at these passages of Scripture is that when David came out of this time when he was staying with the Philistines and he wasn't praying, he got back on his knees and started inquiring of the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And David did what God wanted him to do, and he went where God wanted him to go. And over a period of time, having shown great patience, God eventually united the kingdom of Israel. He united Israel under the reign of David, not because he was foolish and hasty, You know, one of the worst things that men do in their youth is they make hasty, impulsive decisions. They don't think things through. How is this going to affect my wife? How is this going to affect my children? As a pastor, how will this affect the church? My friends, following the Lord and waiting on the Lord is the best plan of attack. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and don't do everything the way you think you ought to do it. Wait on the Lord. And again I say, wait on the Lord. He'll renew our strength. He will help us. He'll build at the right time. Not at the time we want, the time He wants. May God give us the courage to be people who are patient and who wait on the Lord, who are inquiring of the Lord. Lord, what do you want us to do? Lord, how do you want us to do it? God give us power in this day. Now I don't know how the Lord has used this these chapters in your life. I know this. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. It's it's profitable. The preaching of God's Word is profitable. We can learn things. We can apply things to our lives. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe there's some of these character traits of David, and you're challenged by then. If there's anything I'm challenged in these verses by is this. He was done wrong so badly by the house of Saul. But it almost seemed as if David never wanted any other ill to take place to Saul and his family. And even when it took place, it upset him. He was genuinely genuinely upset when something bad took place to the house of Saul. Years ago, and I've said this before, and I'll, I'll preach this probably till I die, I struggled with a subject called forgiveness towards someone in my family. Someone I believed had done great wrong. And... I wasn't happy with how a situation turned out. And I was pastor in a church dealing with the subject of unforgiveness. I wasn't forgiven. Every time I opened my mouth towards this person, I wanted them to feel the pain that I felt. Every time I had a thought about this person, it was a thought that produced anger in my heart. And I should have known then that that's not a fruit of the Spirit. God's not leading me in this this area. And I remember staying at a church... I was at a church one time in, a, uh, in, in downtown Louisville, Kentucky, listening to a preacher talk about somebody who was in the jail cell of my heart. Somebody was inside that I would not let go. And he was talking about forgiveness, being like opening up that jail cell and letting God have his way with that person who had hurt me. And I knew right then God was working in my heart. There could be somebody here today, and you, you're holding on against somebody, an ex-wife, an ex-husband an employer, somebody who's done wrong to you. I want to tell you something. It's in your best interest to forgive and let them go. Why don't you let God have his way in their life? This is exactly what David did in the house of Saul. He said God had his way with them. I'm not going to lift my hand to him, but he certainly wasn't happy with anybody who lifted their hands to them. He let them go. This showed that he fully forgave. He let them go. This was a sign that David was close to the Lord. Our, our God is full of compassion. He's full of forgiveness. Maybe there's somebody that you need to forgive tonight. I don't know who that may be, 
But if you have something and God's speaking to your heart about something, or if you want to use the altar for some, some reason tonight, the altar is open. Let's stand together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe God's spoken to you tonight. Our Father in heaven, we, we've preached what you put on our heart to preach tonight. I thank you for the scriptures. I pray, Lord, that you'd take these scriptures and that you would add a blessing to your people. Father, I pray that you'd make us people that are like David who are letting people go, even when they've done us great wrong. Lord, I, I know in my life I've never had someone do me wrong like, like Saul did to David. Lord, I've never had someone like Judas plant that kiss upon me with such evil in his heart. But Lord, you were able to show forgiveness. And Lord, we see this example in David, how he let, let them go. And so, Father, I pray that as we go to this invitation, you might work in the hearts of your people. I pray, Lord, that this attribute of your Son, Jesus Christ, would be readily seen in our hearts, that we would be people of tenderness and forgiveness. We would be people of strength, but also people of compassion. And I pray and I ask these things in Jesus' name. As we play this number, as we sing Jesus paid it all, maybe God spoke to your heart or you need to use the altar for some reason tonight. Maybe you need to pray for a loved one, pray for a family member. As we sing this number, won't you come? I hear the Savior say,
if you can join me in saying that God is good, say amen. 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 Thank the Lord for a good day in the Lord's house. Uh, Please be in prayer for one another this coming Wednesday. Brother Wayne Hudson's going to be uh, speaking here on Wednesday night. My wife and I had a pre-planned vacation, which we intend to take this week. And uh, if you have any needs, please call the church office and uh, let our staff know uh, if you have a need for us. Uh, Brother Daniel, is there any kind of update on your family and your situation? Two days from now? Daniel's brother, Oscar, uh, went out into eternity um, a week ago Sunday. And uh, Brother Daniel, I suppose that you and I mean, do we know any details about the service? I haven't talked to your sister since that day. Sure. Yeah, I'll talk to Brother Daniel afterwards, but if Daniel's going to be preaching for his brother, you can only imagine how that God's going to have to help him uh, with words of comfort. First of all, it's a great honor and a privilege to speak at a funeral service, but especially if your heart loved like Daniel's loved his brother, um, he's going to have to compartmentalize his pain. He's going to have to try to deliver a message of hope to his family and his family needs hope. His family needs help. His family needs the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank the Lord that God saved Daniel. He plucked him. He plucked him out of a a miry pit and he took Daniel and has changed his life. His, His life, his family is a testimony of the Lord's working in somebody's life. And, uh, you know, when your life changes and your family remains some the same, you may have people that may not be all too happy that you're not present at all the family reunions anymore. And you don't know some of the things that come out, but I do pray that God will allow his family to see his heart for them, for them this week, that God will give him the words to say as he speaks and uh, preaches the gospel to them. You pray for brother Daniel uh, this Tuesday, be in your places on Wednesday. We have master clubs this Wednesday night and uh, we'll need everybody in their places. And, um, We will see you back here again, Lord willing, next Sunday. Uh, Don't forget, uh, Bible handout, we're still planning on doing that on on Saturday. What a great turnout we had yesterday. I've got some letters on the desk already for the secretaries tomorrow to mail out. Had a visiting family over here. You know, it's a blessing when somebody new comes into the house of God. And I've just seen it happening just week after week. Sometimes they're folks that we meet at Bible handout. Other times it's people that are just walking in. Uh, who God's working. I just believe that the more fish hooks we have out there, the more we can draw people to come into the church. And you know what? It's not so that we could receive honor and glory. It's so that Jesus Christ would receive honor and glory. Let's fill this house to the glory of God. Let's go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that the Lord's house may be full. I look forward to that day. All right. Well, Does anything need to be said or added to this service? Brother Lonnie Barnes, if you'd come on up to the pulpit for us, we're so thankful that our Navy man, Brother Lonnie Barnes, came back to us in one piece. And uh, as far as I know, him him and Chris are not arguing, not fighting. Come on on up, Brother Lonnie. Uh, Give the church a brief update about your vacation, the beautiful things you saw, the things God did in your heart, and then close us in a word of prayer. Thank you. 
Well, we all had a great time. It was just a blessing to be with all our fellow Christians and members here at the church and everything. And we just had a great time of fellowship. And we got to meet a lot of new people as we was in the dining hall and stuff. Uh, other couples sitting near us, and we got opportunities to talk to some of them and and witness to some and and hear their testimonies, that, the ones that were saved, and and then give our testimony to the ones that weren't. And the Lord just opened up conversation between people on the ship and us, and and everybody was just is just kind of a laid back, wonderful trip for everybody, and and we. Saw a bunch of uh, beautiful things on the different islands we went to and and excursions we saw and just saw more of God's beautiful earth that he has made. And, and we just glad to, was glad to go, but we were glad to get back too because we, we missed this church and, and everybody here. And I thank you all for praying for us and that we could all get together and go on that. And Lord, I do thank you, Father, for this opportunity that we had. And and thank you for all the visitors that have come to the church while we were gone, Lord. And I just pray that you keep them coming back and let them see the love that's in this church for each one. I know we, when we came back, it, it felt like we was walking into home and how everybody just put their arms around us and loved us and and God just spoke to my heart that that day and said, boy, this is where you need to be. And we we came back to be a member here again. That, that's been a blessing to us. Thank you, Father, for directing our paths and, and sending us a pastor like Brother Bujak and his family, Lord. And, and we just pray that you would just give them a refreshing vacation, Lord, and, and he'll... Uh, his wife, Lord, and watch over his kids and let them just have a time of refreshment like we did and ready to come back and serve you any way we can. We thank you, Father, for all these things and bless each one here and just throughout the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.